Turn with me over to 2 Peter. Today is the last day of our study in 2 Peter. The title of this message is Responding to the Last Days. Responding to the Last Days. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, excuse me, verse 10 through 18. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 18. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will, be, will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, verse 13, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, verse 17, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and there fall from your own steadfastness. But, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Lord, help us as we study. Peter is doing all he can to try to help the people understand that there is an end point to existence as we know it here. And we need to be looking for that end point. Nothing wrong with trying to figure out where do I put a period here in this paragraph. How do I know it's going to come to an end? How do I, how, what, what does stop looks like, look like? Nothing wrong with that. But in the meantime, make sure that you are doing the right thing and being the right way. What kind of people ought you to be knowing that these things are going to happen? And he says the last days, whatever it looks like when God calls what we know now as reality to come to an end and he begins a new reality. He says <clears throat> that... It's going to come like a thief. It's going to be something that, that it's going to surprise every one of us. We're, we're not going to, to know when it's going to happen. And Jesus said specifically that he didn't even know that the Father had not revealed it to the Son about the day or the hour when he was going to return. Um, and, and that when it happened, even though we ought to be expecting it was still going to be a surprise. But in our, in our being surprised, we ought to be expected. So whenever he returns in bodily form, it'll feel something like this. Wow, he's here. Oh, I've been waiting. This is great. I've been waiting for this. So expected, but surprised. And he says we ought to be a certain way in our, in our response to this inevitable coming but if I can concentrate on something that probably is is overlooked in his second coming and that's that uh, we we are more prone as Christians to desire the spectacular 
the, the sensational than we are the supernatural. We want his bodily coming because we feel like it's going to be more real when he appears in body than he is with us now. And reality is, God's not going to be any closer to you when he comes than he is now. I never get an amen on that point because everybody says, oh, Pastor, you just made my life a little bit less happy. I was looking forward to something changing. Well, things will change. You will. But not him, nor his presence. He said he was going to be with you forever and never leave you and forsake you or forsake you. He's not going to be any different except you'll be able to have your senses, your five senses stimulated by touch, by sight, by hearing. He will be no different with you than he is now. So why aren't we desiring his presence as much in in the spiritual sense in our lives as we would be looking for his bodily coming? Meaning we need to be looking for, Lord, I need you in my house today. I need you in my life today. I need you in my job today. I need you in my health and my finances today. Realizing that he is with you and that you need his power in your life to transform whatever is wrong to make it right today means that you are looking for his coming with the same kind of fervency as you would be his bodily coming because you want him to come to you now. That's what we need to desire. Not opposed, not in contrast to his bodily coming, just realizing, I need you more now than I did yesterday. I need more of you tomorrow than, I'm, than I need of you today. I, I just, I, I, need, I need to realize your presence in my life. I need more of you. So may we covet that. May we desire that. May we want it to, deeply in our souls. But when he does come back, in bodily form, it will be a surprise. And in that being surprised, he said there, there are a couple of things that we ought to be. We ought to be holy in our, our conduct. We ought to be people that are always trying to figure out what it's going to, to, to look like with respect to our reaction with one another, our interaction with one another how we develop peace, how we live holy lives. But he he says that that not only is he coming like a thief, but there's going to be a new reality for us to dwell in when he comes. And I I don't necessarily know the sequence of events as well as I would like. I've studied it. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, I've read all about the three and a half weeks. In the 42 months. I understand something about the book of Revelation. And if you, you want to know the details of what I most believe about eschatology, the study of end things or end times, I'm more of a, a post-trib guy. I believe he's coming after whatever tribulation comes because that seems to be his standard operating procedure. He rarely delivers me before trials come. <laughs> he hadn't done it once. He delivers me through them, not out of them. That's just the way he does stuff. I, I haven't known him any other way. And so I think that's probably not just by experience, but what I know to be true is I read scripture, yet there are people who are pre-trib folks who believe we're going to be somehow taken out. And then the tribulation, it's great tribulation that we find in the book of Revelation is going to 
exists where the enemy's going to hurt the Christian. I'm not mad at anybody who believes that. I'm not going to just blast them. We're not, I'm not even going to argue with them ever about it because there is so much we don't know. I'm not going to be entrenched in stuff that nobody else was entrenched in in, in the New Testament. They knew general stuff. They barely had specifics. And whatever, whatever John, the, 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 uh, the apostle, the beloved, wrote, he was just writing what he saw. He didn't give interpretation. He just said, God said, write this stuff down. So he wrote it down. And he wrote what he saw. But I don't even know if he was able to interpret all that he saw. Because when God shows me stuff in dreams and visions, when I see images, I got to go talk to somebody. Hey, dude, what do you think this means? I have no idea what this is. So I don't even know if John knew everything. Simply because you're a prophet or an apostle doesn't mean you have all understanding. It just means you're a good recorder. So the Bible's not near as clear. And, and when Peter's writing this letter, John hasn't gotten his revelation yet. So all Peter knows is what Jesus said. Which is, when I return, return, it's going to be like a thief in the night. That's all he knows. And so he writes that. But he talks about this new heaven and new earth. That that he gets from the Old Testament. He talks about it in the book of Joel and moon turning to blood and all kinds of stuff. And so he gets that from the Old Testament. And he gives as much information as he can. But the balance of this passage is not about, ooh, the spectacular moments that are coming at the end. The balance of the passage is, since these things are going to occur, what kind of people ought you be? And that's what I concentrate on. Since this is going to happen, who are you? What are you going to be when it comes? How might you need to mature in this period before the end happens? That's what Peter's concentrating on. Now, this new heaven and new earth is, is, is pretty neat, though. It says the earth is going to be burned with fire. The heavens are going to be burned with fire. And, and he uses earth in the singular and heaven in the plural. Because there's only one planet. But there are, there are multiple levels of what we call heaven. And that there is a heaven where God lives. That's not going to be touched because there's nothing to purify there. But there is this atmosphere where the birds fly and planes go. And there's, that's one level that... Of heaven. Then there's another heaven, which is where the stars are, the, the, the galaxies. All of that is going to be burned up. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's going to feel like. It's just hot. But I do know this. I do know this that we are going to be here when it happens. And I amen that point. Amen that point. I like that. I'm not going to be here whenever the fire comes. But he then goes on to say that whenever this burning happens, and the burning must occur because Adam's sin didn't just affect you, it affected the planet. It affected the air. This is why the enemy is called the prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere. It affected everything. Sin affects everything. There is no such thing as private sin. Oh, you may do it all by yourself, but it affects everybody else. What you do behind closed doors does affect other people. If only that you didn't do something good while you were doing something bad. So this new heaven and new earth is going to be made as a result of the intense burning that comes to the planet. And the intense burning is to purify whatever Adam's sin did to cause corruption. And as a result of this new heaven and new earth, new heavens and new earth being created... 
there will be a new place for us to dwell because we came from the earth and to the earth we will return. Made from dust to ashes and dust we will return. Because we are earth dwellers, it's my sense that we get to come back. And God wanted to make the entire earth brand new because he's been trying since the beginning to get us back to Eden. You remember what Eden was? This, this is bad. You don't know what... Eden was where Adam and Eve lived. I need to do a better job of teaching. Adam and Eve lived... That was their home. And it was beautiful. And our most beautiful days were their worst. Eden was incre- outstandingly stunning. Unbelievably beautiful. And God has been trying to get us back to the place he intended mankind to live ever since. This is why he had the people of God come out of Egypt and go to a certain spot where abundance was unparalleled. Called the promised land. A land where they'd have to work a little but get a lot. Flowing with milk and honey. He intended for them to live there to typify what he's been trying to get man back to ever since. What did Jesus say? When he came, if you repent, John the Baptist too, if you repent, you understand something about this, what has come upon you? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The order that God has established in glory is now coming down to earth. God has tried to figure out how in the world he could remake this earth a paradise for us. He's our daddy. He wants to make it right. But the earth is so messed up, he has to do it in pockets, promised lands. Churches are supposed to be little outposts of glory. This is where Eden is to exist in an unqualified way. That's why you need to get more holy. That's why you need to get more like him. When we have a greater concentration of people who are becoming more like him, we reflect more of God's initial intent about what heaven should be on earth. Are you listening to me? So this earth gets burned up, the heavens get burned up, and we get to come back. Well, I mean, well, Pastor, do, do we leave heaven? Well, hear me now. Again, back to the beginning. Back to, whenever somebody gets a little perverted in their understanding, Jesus always referred them back to the beginning. When guys began to talk about, when a man has seven wives and he dies and he goes to heaven, which one is his wife? He's, I'm convinced that conversation went something like this. When Jesus heard that, he went. Are you serious? Are you serious? Really? That's a question for me? So he said, listen, it wasn't that way in the beginning. All Jesus did was take him back to God's original intent. Then he began to explain what a man and a woman were supposed to be, what divorce looked like, and when it was right and when it was wrong, and what people are supposed to be when they get to glory. Like angels of God, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. So when we talk about the beginning, God's trying to figure out how to get the earth to be what it's supposed to be for us. And in the beginning, it says that God came down to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Although there were two separate places, heaven where God lived and earth where man lived, there was no separation between the two, though they were distinct. It's much like me knowing the difference between my kitchen and my living room. I can pass between both of them, but both of them in my house. 
No separation, just distinct places under one roof. Under God's creation, these were distinct places. One where he lived, one where man lived, but he got to come and fellowship in unbroken ways. So it will be that when we have have, have been in his presence, if this doesn't happen before we die, if we have been in his presence as a result of passing on from this earth in glory, that when he remakes the earth, we get to come back, but there's no separation between the reality of what heaven is and what earth is, just a distinction. Oh, it's going to be amazing. This is why why Peter said, look forward to this, y'all. This is going to be stunning, stunning. Now, in anticipation of what this is, what kind of people ought you to be? He said you ought to be holy in conduct, sanctified. You ought to be looking for this, watchful. And you ought to be catalytic, people that make the reaction happen faster, meaning hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Sanctified. I don't know. Well, let me say this. I, I know where the concept of holiness has lost a lot of oomph in society because the world doesn't regard holiness as something that's, that's valued. They, they do not prize it at all. I get that. But, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm challenged to, to try to, to rationalize why the church has lost the value of holiness. Holiness is not how you wear makeup or don't. It's, it's not earrings or, or lack of earrings. It's not dresses up to here and shirts down to here or not. That's, that's not holiness. Holiness is what's on the inside as, and, and is reflected on the outside. You cannot define holiness by a measure of dress. But you can see holiness. You can see it. And he says our, our conduct ought to be holy. I was listening to somebody um, talk about their purity and they had a platform. Whenever somebody does something well in society, they gain a platform to speak. And this person was a believer. And they were very accomplished in their field. And they got up and they began to use their platform to advance the gospel. And one of the first things they said is they're a believer, they love Jesus, and they're a virgin. And the world sneered at them. Just, yeah, right. So, so, like being a virgin is any better than anybody else? And I expected that from the world. But then I heard people in the church say, I wish they hadn't said that. It makes us seem weird. It just makes us seem weird and out of date and irrelevant. I said to myself, I like that weird. I like being out of date like that. And I'm not trying to be relevant in the world with respect to my morality. I am not. Where are you supposed to light your lamp? Help me. You don't put that thing under a bushel if God has empowered you to live in such a way as you have attained victory in your morality. You don't put that under a bushel. There are so many people out there that are broken and hurt, people in this room who have been shattered as a result of their immoral lifestyle, giving themselves away to one man, one woman, time and time again, another, 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 over and over, trying to find fulfillment in love and lost all of it. 
disillusioned, fractured. I have to minister to these people regularly. Why wouldn't somebody want to stand up and say, the Lord has enabled me to attain victory. He's given me the privilege of saving myself for one man, one woman. And I am grateful to him for that. It's possible, mankind, to do it right. Why, dear Christian, would you want that person to put their lamp under a bushel? Jesus said we're supposed to be a city set on a hill. No one lights a lamp and then hides it. Now, some of you might say, well, Pastor, you know, that, that ship's kind of sailed in my life. <laughs> I can't, I don't have that testimony and never will. There is never a bad time to make a good decision. You can start now. You can start now. You can save yourself now for that person to whom you will wed. I don't know why the church has been so permissive as to think that it's okay for folk to live together without saying I do. I think it's normal. I don't get it. I just don't get it. It's, it's, almost, it's almost as if everybody thinks it, it is the way it's supposed to be. And if anybody says anything different, they are either archaic, out of the times, or unreasonable. And so I routinely tell folk, dude, move out. Well, when? Now. <laughs> Go home, pack, get, a, get yourself an apartment, pay for her. Pay for that one. And if you want to do this thing right, get some counseling, get married. And to the woman, I have so much to say. So much. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than a guy who won't commit to you. Value yourself more than needing somebody so bad who considers you less than you, can be, you should be considered. I've said this before. Prostitution is wrong for a lot of reasons. The objectification of women. So many. But one, one of the reasons it's wrong is that the buyer always pays too little. See, to do that act ought to cost you your life. Your life. Somebody ought to say, I do, before they get to do that act. They ought to commit all of themselves to you. And somebody who pays $100 for it pays too little. Jacob went up to his uncle Laban. Laban had a fine daughter named Rachel. Fine. I mean, she was gorgeous. Top 10 model gorgeous. <laughs> Jacob says to Laban, I don't have no money. Now, there was a thing called a bride price that every man had to give the father of his intended in order to pay for the rights to marry her, the bride price. Jacob said, I don't have any money. He was on the run from Esau, his brother, and um, he had nothing. But he said, I, I, will, I will serve you in labor for seven years for her hand in marriage. So, how much you make annually? 50, 60, 40, 100,000. Multiply it by seven. That is a serious engagement ring. 
That's what Jacob paid for the rights to marry this girl. It should always cost a brother to get the right to do that. Always. And the the folk who pay for it and pay $100, they just pay too little. But the bride price was indicative of a man giving his entire life for this woman. Ladies, I beg you, make your men pay. Don't sell yourself short. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Now, I really don't get this. To all the women who are giving it away for free, stop. Stop. We regard the people who are asking for payment as being less than, but you're giving it away for free. Stop it. Value yourself more than that. And make a good decision today. Holy conduct ain't ever bad. We ought to be sanctified. We ought to be looking for. And we ought to be hastening the coming of the Lord. Hastening. Now, this concept is really neat. You have to look at it within the context of the the writer. The book of Peter is written somewhere around 57 A.D., someplace in there. Peter was going to pass on. He was going to be crucified somewhere around 62. So this letter comes about five years, three to five years before he passes. When Jesus said, I'm going to return, they thought he meant next week. They thought he meant next year. They they didn't think he meant two millennium later. So when he's saying, let's hasten the coming of the Lord, from his perspective, he's thinking, we're really behind here. There's a reason he's delaying, and we don't know why, but I I think it has something to do with us. So if we can do some stuff to get ourselves prepared for his coming, he might come quicker, because it's been like 35 years, and he's still not here. 25 years, still not here. So we need to hasten his coming. Let's get it right, people. That's the perspective from which he's speaking. Now, it's amazing that he could even think that somehow the church would be able to do something to bring Jesus back quicker. But why would that be so unusual when Jesus comes to your house every time you get more right? Before you knew him, you could not find him. But when you got to know him, all of a sudden he was with you. So what happened? You hastened his coming by making a decision that benefited you with his presence. Are you listening to me? Now, I don't know what this means in the grand scheme of what the timing of God is for Jesus to come back and what it looks like for us to hasten it. I can't figure any of that out. All I know is that my responsibility is to do what I'm supposed to do to try to get him to come to me. Have you ever been to a wedding that that didn't start on time? Hmm? You're supposed to start at 2? And there you are at 2.15? And the last thing you want to do is this? But you got to do it because the wedding's starting late. And you can't leave. That's rude. So now it's 2.30. And you're still waiting. 
And instinctively, everybody knows that the reason this wedding is starting late has nothing to do with the groom. <laughs> they all know he's sitting in the back with his boys. When is thing going to start, man? Goodness gracious, what's she doing? And you ladies know, oh, the hair ain't right, the makeup ain't right, oh, the caterer just called something, oh, we got to, where's my, where's my matron of honor, why is she late? The bride has yet to make herself ready. And in the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 19 that the bride makes herself ready for the coming of God. I imagine all of heaven is just sitting there saying, y'all ready yet? What are you doing? This wedding needs to get started. It needs to get started. Hurry up, church. Get ready. Two millennia later, heaven is still in the pews waiting for us to get ready. Hasten. So if you're waiting for Jesus and wondering why he hasn't come back yet, you don't have to look any further than the mirror. He wants us to get, we can hasten the coming of the Lord by getting right and getting more right and more right and more right. There's never a time where you need to stop growing. There's always an opportunity to allow your conduct to be more reflective of him, to let your character sound, feel. When people taste of your life, they taste of the Lord and see that it's good. Never a time. When you shouldn't grow. Hasten his coming. <clears throat> and thirdly, we are to be sedulous. Um, I, I didn't know what this word meant, but I had to have an S word to make the whole thing fit together in my sermon. <laughs> so I, I went to the thesaurus and found out what diligent meant in an S word and, and put in this word. Sedulous means diligent. Now, all of us are educated, aren't we? <laughs> all became a little smarter this morning. We are supposed to be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless, blameless. We are to make sure that we regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, and we are to be steadfast. First of all, to be found in peace. Peace is a gift of God. It's a gift. It, 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 the, the world can only give peace in the absence of conflict. There's no peace except in the absence of conflict with the world. But Jesus said, I give you a peace not as the world gives. And so the kind of peace God gives is the kind of peace we can keep in conflict. It's an amazing thing, but it's a gift. And with all gifts, we must make sure we steward it well, as all gifts must be stewarded. Jesus, as the disciples were getting trained in what ministry was, sent them out on a mission, short-term mission. Jesus had been doing the stuff. The disciples had watched. Now it was their turn to go do. He said, I'm sending you out. Go. Matthew chapter 10. And they went out. He said, I don't want you to take any food. Don't want you to take any, any uh, provisions. Nothing. Don't worry about it. When you get to the city, people will provide for you. And when you get to a house, you find some place that is possibly inviting to you. If they welcome you, let your peace abide there. But if they do not welcome you, make sure you take your peace with you. And if the city is not going to welcome you, make sure you shake the dust from your feet and walk on. In conflicting moments, our peace has a tendency 
to fly away. It just leaves us. We get in the same spirit as the people who are antagonistic against us. We get slapped in the, in the face. We want to slap back verbally. We feel insulted. We want to insult in kind. Our peace just leaves us. And we begin to flow in the same spirit that is assaulting us. But the Bible says we need to make sure that we are guarding our peace well because it will guard our souls. And if we encounter an environment that is assaulting our peace and not allowing us to, to remain in this place, then we need to make sure that when we leave, we take our peace with us so that when you are driving down 66 back home, after a hard day where conflict has been the order of the day, your mind is still not at war. You're not bringing that conflict home. You're bringing your peace because you took it home with you. Are you listening to me? Jesus said, take it. Take it. Don't let somebody steal your peace from you. Don't let the, the peace thieves rob you. Take your peace back home with you. And if the environment, the entire city has been so antagonistic and so contrary to the gospel of peace, I don't even want you to take the residue of that place into your next environment. You shake off the dust and move. Don't let that pain begin to affect your next ministry opportunity. Don't let that rejection begin to let you build up walls that not only prohibit people from hurting you, but stop you from getting them. Shake it from your feet. Be found in him in peace when he returns because it's the greatest reflection that you believe he is still on the throne. He is still on the throne and my life is guarded by him. No matter what happens, I believe, Lord, that you are superintending over the well-being of my life. Spotless and blameless. Make sure that you are not involved in sin where, where a good part of your life is okay, but then there's just one spot that everybody sees. There's this one little thing. Yeah, he goes to church. Yeah, he, he prays. Yeah, he's, but he, he's at the club on Saturday. And I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering, what is that? And it's not like he's at the club helping people not do what they shouldn't do. <laughs> He's at the club helping people do what they shouldn't do. And he's doing it with them. And he's buying drinks for folks. And I'm just, there's a spot there. I can. Hmm. Spot and, spotless and blameless. That if you do do something wrong, then you are the most diligent to go figure out how to make it right. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I will never do that again. And if there's anything I need to repay, I will do it. Where you were blameworthy, now you are blameless. Because you have made restitution, you have done the right thing in the face of your wrongdoing. That's what that means to be blameless. And we need to be people that regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Why hasn't Jesus come back when we wanted him to, when other people prayed? I mean, every generation has had a date. They've looked at the scriptures and tried to interpret the, the exact time and hour. And, and, and just a few years ago, some folk in the Midwest said Jesus was coming back in his date. You remember that? Everybody believed. Well, I'm so happy. God did not come back yet. 
I mean, as much as I want to see him, I'm happy he didn't come back when other people prayed that he would come back because some folk prayed that he'd come back before I got saved. That wouldn't have been good for me. I'm glad he didn't answer their prayer. Regard the patience, the long time between when you prayed and when he answers. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation because he wants a lot of folk to get saved. And he not only wants people to get saved, he's regarding, he's regarding you and your calling and your fruitfulness. He doesn't want you to come before him with nothing to present. He wants you to come before him having lived your life fruitful. Having, the Bible says in the Old Testament, whenever you come before God, do not come empty-handed. Don't come with nothing. Come with something to offer him. And you know eternity is a really long time. It, it's like at, at, at 10 billion years, you just keep going. It's a long time. And forever we will see the nail prints in his hands. They are badges. They are scars of courage. We'll notice them in his feet. We'll see the scar on his side. Forever we will see them. And forever, every moment, we will be re-wowed by them. They will never get old. We will look at them and, and, and think, how did you do that for me? And because his presence... And his person is infinite. We'll see a new aspect of, of the redemptive benefit we have received at every moment that we worship. And as, at every moment, we will go, wow. And then when we finish the, the W at the end of that wow, we'll go, wow. And then we, we'll go, wow. It will never stop. And the natural inclination of your soul will be, what can I offer you? I, 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 and you will look back on your life. And if you had lived your life just getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth, if you've been one of those First Corinthians folk that, that just got through by fire, and you have nothing to present, and you realize you lived 80 years just trying to figure out how you could get God to be your servant. You will feel so sad. And every day you'll have to fight back the remorse that says, what was I thinking? He who gave his all for me and I gave nothing for him. He's trying to give you an opportunity to come with your hands full, full of character, full of deeds done in the, the beauty of wisdom that benefit humanity. People, throngs of folk that you have benefited as a result of your life that now know Jesus and would not have had you not shared with them. He's trying to give you an opportunity to make sure that you have something to present to him. Regard the patience of our Lord as a good thing. And then be steadfast. We're to be people that are immovable. Boy, we're, we're holding on to the principles of Scripture. What kind of people ought we to be knowing that this end is coming? Holding on to what we know to be true. Not letting go of the moorings of Scripture. Standing our ground in the face of the enemy. Not letting the tide of the world take us out with it. Standing, standing, standing. Steadfast. And lastly, we need to be people who surge. Roman numeral four. Surge. Grow. Get bigger. 
get bigger, please. Get bigger. Begin to allow God to grow you up in a hurry. Grow in what? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace. Grace is that unmerited favor and power that God gives you to accomplish whatever he has called you to do. Live holy. Do ministry. Go on missions. Raise money for missions. He has called you to do it. He's given you the grace to do it. And he wants you to grow in that grace. Why? So that you can increase the capacity of your soul to do more. Love more. Give more. He wants us to grow in grace. As long as we are thinking that God can only move through me and the resources I've got, we will never allow grace to increase our ability to be more. But when grace comes, all of a sudden, the, the possibilities of what God could do through us are unending because it's his power, not ours, working through us. Grow in grace and grow in knowledge. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. That is not a job just for the paid ministers. Read your Bible every day. You want to know God better? He and his word are synonymous. In the beginning was the word, John 1. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning. The word then is given personality. What he says, he is. You want to know more about him? Read his word. You'll find out more about who he is. We are to grow in grace and grow in knowledge. We do that, we'll mature. This is how we are to be, knowing that the end is coming. Don't know when. I, I have a feeling that we're all going to get up tomorrow and go to work. So it's not going to happen tonight. I just don't think that. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll be happy. I'll never be happier being wrong, I promise you. But I have a feeling we're all going to get up. And since we're all going to get up, what kind of people ought we be? What should we do knowing that the end is coming, but it's probably not coming tomorrow? We better be people who are being holy and pure, spotless, blameless. We better be people who are steadfast. We better See, this is what we need to concentrate on, knowing that the end is here. Concentrate on this and watch how God will hasten his coming to your life.